I have really been getting into these period dramas, like I'm talking Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Victoria, you know, Henry VIII. Like I'm real, I don't know why. I'm just really into these things right now. And in this episode of Wonderful Life, I'm going to share with you what Queen Elizabeth I has taught me about dating. I'm Mary Dittman. For years, I struggled with being unhappy because I'm single and I don't want to be. But I've learned how to be happy while I'm single. If you're ready to find peace as a single woman, you're ready for a wonderful life. Hi, I'm Mary Dittman. I'm an award-winning business professor on the collegiate level and the creator of College on Fleek and Wonderful Life. Wonderful Life is my way of describing how it feels when you've made peace with being single. I know some women really love singleness and they don't want a man, but I've never felt that way. And in fact, I've always wanted to be married and have a family, but I'm well over 40 and that hasn't happened for me. And for a long time, that was a source of great sadness in my life because for me, part of a fulfilled life includes being a wife and a mother. But I got to the point where I said, I better make peace with singleness because it doesn't appear to be changing and it may never change. And I just wanna be happy. And that's what wonderful life is about. It's about being happy while you're single, even if you're not happy because you're single. All right, now, all this started because some friends of mine recommended The Crown on Netflix and I had like exhausted all of my Netflix binges. So I said, oh, I'm gonna check it out. Well, I zipped through the first two seasons of The Crown like it was my full-time job. And from there, I went to Victoria, which is about Queen Victoria. That was on Amazon Prime. And then I went into like every miniseries, every TV show, every movie I could find on Queen Elizabeth I, Mary Queen of Scots. Now I'm watching The Tudors on Netflix, which is about Henry VIII. It was Queen Elizabeth dad. And I'm also watching Ekaterina, which is a Russian television show with English subtitles on Amazon Prime. Like I'm crazy for queens right now. And I'm really into the queens. Now in The Crown, it's about Queen Elizabeth II, our current queen. Well, not our current queen. She's not queen for the United States. But I'm, I'm fascinated with how queens handled things. And especially early queens like Queen Elizabeth I, Queen Victoria, Catherine the Great in Russia, Mary Queen of Scots, because in those early days, I'm talking like the 15 and 1600s and 1700s, Queen Victoria was a little bit later, it was not accepted generally that the country would have a queen. They were used to having kings. And so the reigning monarch, they would have a, a queen consort, which would be the king's wife, but the ruling monarch was typically a king. However, when kings didn't have an heir that was a male, you would get a queen. But in those days, many of the subjects and the nobility, the ones who had power, were the males, and they didn't want a queen. And so in order for the queen to survive and thrive and govern, she had to really use her charm and her wits. And in those settings, in, in the courts, 
the courtiers were the nobility and a lot of times they were jockeying and it was very political and social climbing and you know jockeying for position and favor from the monarch and a lot of game playing and backstabbing sometimes literally and so the queen always had to be aware that just because people were there at her court they weren't her friends and they weren't necessarily her supporters I really love Queen Elizabeth I and she was quite charming and witty and she was very, very good in working with the male nobility or her counselors or the church to get her way, but without being overbearing. For example, her half-sister, Queen Mary, who had reigned before her, was known as Bloody Mary because her approach to most things was just to execute people. Well, Queen Elizabeth didn't want to take that tack, so she was much more diplomatic. One of the things that I really love about her, though, is that she never married and she never had any children. She had plenty of suitors, but she never got married. And there are a lot of theories as to why she never married, but here's the thing. Most marriages in that time in the 15th and 16th century, marriages were largely political, especially within monarchies. So you might have been betrothed to someone at say four years old, and then it was just assumed, like for example, Queen Elizabeth's half-sister Mary, who became queen, at, was betrothed at like three or four years old to the King of Portugal, and what was said was that, hey, when she turns 12, you guys can get married. Now, those marriages were most of the time about establishing political alliances, because if the queen was from England and the king was from Portugal, then it was assumed that England and Portugal would now be allies. And that would matter because then they could be a united front. So she didn't have to marry. She was the reigning monarch. She wasn't being forced or pressured to marry, although her advisors were saying, you know, you really need to get married. You really need to produce an heir. But she didn't take a husband, and she could have. And again, it wasn't about she would need to find someone who loved her. She could have found somebody that would have been an appropriate king consort just to produce an heir and just to produce an alliance. But she didn't do that. And as someone who's never been married and never had any kids, I find that kind of inspiring. So here are some of the things that I've learned from QE1. Number one, expect a high standard. Queens don't accept anything second rate. They don't accept second rate gifts. They don't accept second rate behavior. They hold themselves to a high standard and they expect those around them to also have a high standard. Now, a good queen is kind and she's loving and she inspires the respect of her subjects, but she doesn't tolerate a bunch of garbage. Number two, queens are leaders and great leaders put the good of the team before their own personal whims. And successful monarchs felt that the kingdom would come first. Now, traditionally in monarchies, the belief was that the queen or the king had been ordained by God and that they were literally God's representative on earth. When Queen Elizabeth II, the current reigning queen in England, when her uncle 
abdicated the throne. He did that because he was in love with Wallace Simpson, who was an American divorcee, which at the time was very scandalous, and he wasn't allowed to marry her. So he abdicated the throne. That's how Queen Elizabeth's father became the king, and that's how she became the queen when he passed on. But her uncle decided that being a that being with this woman was more important than the kingdom. And that caused a huge scandal and uproar. Now today, a lot of times we would say like, oh, it's so romantic, he gave up everything for her. But at the time, the thought was, oh my gosh, like he's deserting his God-given duty. It's like you're on the earth as a divine assignment to serve this country and you're tossing that away for your own selfish needs. That was how that was viewed at the time. And so a queen wouldn't necessarily lounge in bed all day with a guy. If she had state business to attend to, she got her business done. And listen, you've probably known women and certainly men, but I'm gonna talk about our sisters for a second. How many of us, we've known a lot of women who they're married, they seem to have a good marriage, they have children still living at home, and they decide, well, I just don't wanna be married anymore, or I, I'm, I'm gonna have a boyfriend, or I'm gonna take up with this new guy and just ditch my husband and my kids. Well, most of us don't think like, oh, that's so romantic. She gave up everything for her love. Most of us are like, what are you thinking, girl? You're, you're running out on your kids for some new guy? Okay, that's what we're talking about, is that a good leader doesn't put like, oh, I met a good guy. Oh my God, I'm so excited over her career, her family, her children. And I say career because that's how you would provide for your family. Number three, a queen would demand that a man would prove his worth and his value. One of the reasons that royals would tend to intermarry and like most of them married their first cousins and crazy stuff like that, it's because they had to marry someone on their level. Even Prince Philip, who is Queen Elizabeth II's husband, he comes from royalty. And so the expectation was that not that you would marry someone in the nobility, but that you would actually marry another royal. That's why it's kind of a big deal when Prince Harry married Meghan Markle and they make a big deal about like, oh, you know, he's marrying a commoner and a divorcee. Well, see, now you can see in some of the things that we're mentioning that that is a major break with tradition in terms of how monarchs were expected to marry. But a man had to prove his worth and just having a title wasn't gonna do it. He had to prove that he was bringing something to the table that was going to be worth the queen saying yes to marriage. Because again, a ruling queen was never ever forced to marry. Number four, not everybody gets into the inner circle. In the old English courts, what would happen, and I'm not talking about the court of law, I'm talking about the royal court. Well, not everyone could just necessarily walk in. You know, a lot of times people were just milling around outside the palace, and then there would be sort of the, the outer part of the court where people might loiter and hang around and try to get in, and then you could get into sort of like another area, but, but to get into a conversation with the queen or into a space where she was like a private audience or even with her and her ladies in waiting or her and her her counselors it was very difficult to do 
not everyone got into that inner sanctum with the queen. She did not confide her deepest thoughts and feelings to just anybody. And of course, there was no Instagram or anything like that for her to be talking about all her stuff. Number five, queens don't beg and they don't cower. Queen Elizabeth's cousin was Mary, Queen of Scots. And Mary, Queen of Scots kind of had her own drama happening in Scotland. And Mary, Queen of Scots, some people held, and she herself held, that she had a legitimate claim to the throne of England. Now, when Queen Elizabeth's mother was beheaded, that was Anne Boleyn, Queen Elizabeth was declared illegitimate. She was really kind of reinstated when her half-sister Mary was dying, and Mary said, Queen Elizabeth, you know, Elizabeth will be the next queen. She confirmed that Elizabeth would be the next queen. But Mary, Queen of Scots, and many of her supporters said, well, Mary, the Queen of Scots, was not an illegitimate child, and she should be the, sitting, the reigning queen in England as well as Scotland. Well, of course, to Queen Elizabeth, who was the ruling queen of England, she didn't take kindly to this. She didn't just say like, oh, sure, okay, sure, you can have my kingdom. So there was always this tension. Now, Mary had her own drama, and... So at one point, she sought refuge in England under Elizabeth's protection, and Elizabeth basically imprisoned her in England. She, had, she was like under house arrest uh, to protect her. But Elizabeth's supporters created a charge against Mary that included treason, saying Mary was actively plotting to have Queen Elizabeth killed in order to take the throne. Now, at her trial... Mary, Queen of Scots, defended herself. She argued that these things were untrue, that the evidence was not true. She had not conspired to try to overthrow Queen Elizabeth in any way, but she was found guilty and she was sentenced to death by beheading. And every historical recollection of her death shows that she was dignified she did not cry, she did not beg, she did not cower. The tradition was that the executioner would ask the person for their forgiveness. And she was very kind and gracious to her executioner. And I just think that's really a classy way to handle things. I mean, I can promise you, like if you were taking me to be beheaded, I would be screaming and crying. I would be, you'd be dragging me there, I'd be a mess. But Queen Mary was regal. Lastly, Queens would set a high standard for themselves and for the people in their company. For me personally, one of my biggest character defects has always been my language. I have a problem with swearing. I'm getting better. I work on it. I, you know, I go through times where I work on it and I get really good about it and then I, I slip and I'm not so good. But it's interesting that since I've been reading about queens and since I've been watching all these movies about queens. And listen, I know that Hollywood takes literary license and, and ev everything you watch is not historically accurate. What I do a lot of times is when I'm watching something, I'll go and read and find out like, well, is that part true or is this part true? Because Hollywood needs to make things interesting. They're, they're not in the business of, of historical accuracy. They're in the business of entertainment. But nonetheless, one of the things that I've learned from watching queens is that they generally don't curse and swear. They don't need to. And in fact, many times, 
fewer words are more effective. It's reported that Queen Elizabeth I one time said to someone, I'd rather be a beggar and single than a queen and married. So she'd rather be happy and single and poor than married and queen and rich. And she chose to not marry. Now again, I personally don't want to make that choice, but I'd rather be single and happy than married and unhappy. Her reign was called the Elizabethan era, and a lot of really important things happened under her reign. Because she reigned for such a long time, she brought stability to the country. She brought a lot of advances in art and culture and exploration. She raised England's international status. So no, she didn't leave an heir from her own line, but she left a legacy. But I want to know what you think. Wonderful Life is a dialogue, not a monologue. How about you? Would you rather be happy and single or married and unhappy? Or maybe not even married and unhappy. What if you could choose between happy and single or married and just, eh? Which one would you prefer? Put that in the comments and let us know how you feel. You can always connect with us at wonderfullife.com. We post a new blog every Friday at wonderfullife.com. You might want to join our newsletter list. As well, we have some really cool merchandise there for you. And make sure you join us next time right here on Wonderful Life.